In the name of our gracious and loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you find it amazing that on the very last page of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, the culmination of the entire testimony of Scripture, that we are given this beautiful invitation that the one who is thirsty come. When I was in college... I didn't decide to go through fraternity rush until my sophomore year. It's a fairly common thing at my university. And I, uh, at that point, I had a year on campus to see the different groups, uh, to know uh, each fraternity's reputation, to see which one seemed to me uh, to be the best fit. So I only ended up running, uh, rushing one fraternity. And on bid day, I waited nervously until late in the afternoon phone rang and a couple of guys that I knew pretty well from uh, that fraternity uh, called and asked if they, had a minute, if they could come by and had a, if I had a minute to talk. They came over, long faces, shoulders slouched. It was really close, they said. They said something lame about this one guy who had a chip on his shoulder I've totally forgotten it. Um, They were really sorry. Outwardly, I was composed. Inwardly, I was a storm. Two weeks of schmoozing. Two weeks of of trying to uh, play it cool and be impressive for nothing. Here's a little card to thank you for coming out. Thanks. They left my dorm room. I slumped down in my chair. I was suddenly aware I didn't have anything to do that night. And I opened the card, and it said, You are cordially invited to become a brother in our fraternity. The schmoozing had paid off. They said, Come. Now, I have often thought about that little episode, and if, if those guys had come in and they'd said, you're in, and they'd hauled me off to a party, then, you know, I'd have been happy, but probably a little smug, entitled, proud of myself. Uh, but the agony of their denial actually uh, made their invitation, their full acceptance, that much more thrilling. And we see something of this. On the last page of Scripture. The book of Revelation can seem cryptic and uh, obscure to us, but this last passage is actually uh, really clear. Jesus is coming soon for final judgment. Now these words are some 1900 years old. It's surely soon from God's perspective, not from our perspective. I don't know if He's coming tonight or thousands of years from now. But there will, one day, be an end to this in-between time in which we find ourselves now. And Jesus will return to judge both the quick and the dead. And when He does, there will be those who are ushered into heaven through the gates. And there will be those who are left outside. 
Now, this is where you might expect a little hellfire and brimstone. That's not my intention. I do chuckle every time I see the bumper sticker that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. Uh, But I just want to really point out the one simple but extraordinary difference between those in verse 14 who are blessed and who enter into heaven and those in verse 15 who are left outside. So let's start with the outsiders first. Now if we look at this list in the light of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says that if we lust or murder in our heart, that it's the same before God as committing the act, we look at this list and we... It looks a lot like us. We're going to have to do some mental gymnastics to try to avoid being on this list. Fornicators, that is those having sexual relations outside of marriage. Murderers. Idolaters, that is those who make good things like money or beauty or well-behaved children into God things. We have to have in order to be happy or to have peace in our lives. Idolaters. And finally, those who love and practice anything that is not true. Really, no one escapes this list. And I don't even think this list is meant to be comprehensive. Now, it's easy to read this uh, list with a seething tone. The dogs and the sorcerers and the fornicators and so on. But... I don't think it has to be read that way. It can be read more as a a lament. I recently heard about a t-ball game. You know, the the short ones, the really cute ones. Can't see their face over their hat. The the shortstop got the ball. And he knew that he was supposed to tag the runner who was going from second to third. Well, the runner knew enough to know that he should avoid trying to uh, to avoid being tagged. And so he took off into left field. Well, the shortstop knew that he was supposed to tag him, so he took off after him. And the two little boys are just running around in circles out in left field. And it took a while to stop him because the coaches were just laughing so hard about the whole thing. Well, I bring up that story because these were well-meaning little boys. And they just wanted to win. They didn't set out to break the rules of the game. It just came naturally. You and I both know good people, maybe not in a theological sense, but in a social sense, in a practical sense, good people who don't set out to break the rules. We find ourselves running around in circles in left field without even realizing it. It just comes naturally. You just want to win. For example, you may be one who witnesses every time that we bring up idolatry uh, from the pulpit. You hear it said that you have everything that you need in Christ. And you want that to be true in your own life. But you really don't know how you can live without the admiration of others. Or without financial security. Or without Rocky Road ice cream. We can make an idol out of anything. Or statistically, there will be a number of people who come to church at the Advent this morning or who are listening on the radio 
who have a gnawing secret. And it falls on this list. It's an affair. It's an addiction. It's an abortion. It's abuse. It's any number of things that uh, we work very hard to keep hidden deep in our past. But we know it's there. And we know that God knows it's there. And we know it's on this list. And we hear that this has us on the outside of heaven. And we're wrecked. We're despondent. We're spiritually parched. Because we didn't set out to break the rules. It just came naturally. We just wanted to win. Those who are here listed as being on the outside are defined each category by their deeds. They are identified by their actions. It's something they've done or something that they do. It's some posture of uh, being self-reliant or self-satisfied. But those on the inside, and here's here's the difference. For those on the inside, there's only one category. Look at verse 14. There's no categories of goodness opposite the bad in verse 15. There's no category that says uh, those who followed the Ten Commandments. No category of those who remain faithful to their spouse or love their neighbor. Though certainly Scripture bears out that those are good and proper things to do. We encourage you to do those things. But rather the ones who get into heaven. The ones who are ushered through the gates to an eternity with the God of glory and everlasting love. Those on the inside are those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Because friend, heaven is not for the clean. Heaven is for the cleansed. Heaven is not for the clean. Heaven is for the cleansed. Heaven is not for the self-made righteous. There aren't any. But for those who have, by faith, allowed the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to absorb and absolve their sins and who have accepted for themselves the cleansing righteousness of their Savior. On the inside, there's only one category. No longer identified by what we do or by what we have done. Now we are identified by what He has done for us. Now I started, talk, started out by talking about uh, how I thought that I hadn't gotten a bit, bit to my fraternity, but actually that denial increased the joy of acceptance. I realized that using acceptance into my fraternity in order to describe Acceptance into heaven is to use an analogy that will quickly find its limits. But who shall enter through the gates by grace with joy and thanksgiving but those who have deeply felt their rightful place on the outside? We are loved and accepted by the King of glory, not because of our deeds, but actually despite them. 
Not because we are good, but because He is good. And now we who believe, we who receive the immeasurable, the loving grace of Christ, we who have accepted His love despite being unlovable outsiders, we long for the return of Christ. The Holy Spirit and the bride that is the church, they call out to Jesus who has promised that He's coming soon. We cry out, Come! Come, Lord Jesus! Let the one who has heard the Gospel cry out, Come, Lord Jesus! But, and this is is so elegant, but even as we cry out for the return of Christ, which will be the genesis of No more tears, no more dying, but life everlasting. Even so, let the one who is thirsty come. And we call out for the return of the Lord, but as long as the Lord waits to return, the invitation is open. Let all who are thirsty come. The exhausted, the spiritually parched, the despondent, the depressed, the one who has the gnawing hidden secret, the schmoozers, come! Just as you are. Come just as you are without one plea, but that thy God should die for thee. Take the water of life without price. You may have been in church all your life and never actually come. Never actually come to Christ. Or you've, you've come except you've left that hidden secret on the shelf. Come. If this is you, won't you come? Even now, let the one who is thirsty come. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your grace. Thank You that the Word of God is living and active and penetrates even between spirit, marrow, and bone. Thank You that You issued the invitation to come. Let it be. In Jesus' name, Amen.